0: So 40 Days of Community, we opened up with Compelled to Love. And um, how many of you have started your groups this last week? You've been in your group? How many of you totally missed your group? Didn't get there on time? Yep, I see you back row. I knew it was all you guys. Oh, you were sick. Okay, thanks, Bernie. Good excuse. Um, One of the things you notice getting into this as I was thinking about it coming up here is that this getting together to meet in small groups and stuff Like, it's hard, right? If you haven't gotten in the habit of doing it together, it's hard. You gotta find the time, you gotta create the margin, you gotta get out to somebody's house, and it might be kind of snowing out or rainy, and you gotta get out, and you gotta get together with people, and, and spare that extra time if you haven't been doing it before. So, so it's hard, but I encourage you to make the effort, because we have gotten so busy as a people that we've taken the margin out of our life so that All of a sudden, it's really difficult just to get six or eight people together for an evening. I mean, how sad is that, that it's hard to get together, to have snacks and just talk and share our Christian life with each other uh, once a week? Um, So I just encourage you to stick with it and keep creating margin in your life to be able to keep doing this, to keep meeting together uh, outside of Sunday morning, getting together in groups of six or eight. Um, sharing food together and, and, and it 'll be worth it, and it is worth it as we have that time together to create the margin in our life for each other. Um, we want to be a welcoming church, we want to be a friendly church, we want to be a church that can stand up and say we 're a church with a great community, and that takes effort to do it. We have to uh, put our our hands and our feet into action to make that true but that 's where we 're going in this forty days of community is it 's just building into each other 's lives more and more. Uh, That we can be a church that truly is a church of good community and that when people come there are places for them to connect on more than just a Sunday morning, but families that invite them over for dinner and invite them into their life and share life together. First time we looked at uh, compelled to love, uh, the five reasons we need each other for the purpose of of love, uh, to be able to love each other and love the world. Uh, This morning we're going to look at reaching out together, that we are commissioned to reach out uh, together and we're looking at these things. The deepening sense of community within our church family and reaching out to the community around our our church family, deepening the sense of love within our church family and reaching out in love to the community around our church. And we're learning how to build stronger relationships in our church and and learning how to love those around us in our church. And the reason we're doing this is because the Bible says that we are better together. We're, We're meant to be together in a church. The church is God's idea, and it's a good idea And uh, so, we're trying to make it stronger and and live out more fully what God intended for His church. And so, today we're going to um, start with this purpose of reaching out together. And I'll just open up in prayer. Father God, as we open up Your Word now this morning and consider uh, what Your Bible teaches us, uh, just open our hearts and open our eyes to uh, Your intent for our life and for the goodness of it uh, that Your ways are good and that what You've planned is good. Um, that you don 't ask us to do anything um, more difficult than to love each other, and so lord that 's a pretty easy commandment to love. Uh, help us to do it with excellence in jesus name amen so in the book of Philippians uh, in uh, it's verse one uh, sorry chapter one twenty seven paul says you 're standing together side by side strong, with one strong purpose to tell the good news, um, and so Standing together and telling the good news, that's what we're looking at today. How do we do it together? How do we get the good news of God's love out together? And how do I share with my friends that God loves them? And how do I do it in partnership with other people? How do we do it together as a small group rather than just a bunch of people all on our own out there trying to get this message across of the goodness of God's love? And the verse just down from what Paul says there, Paul says, you are called to the same mission that I have, and we still have that mission And so we're going to look at that mission that Paul has that he says the people in his church are called with him in and that they need to partner together in. And so we're going to look at the word partner. And as Rick Warren is fond of doing in his sermons, he's made a little acrostic of partner. And so he has seven points on the word partner and how each starting with that letter. He's such a good pastor. I'm not a good pastor like Rick Warren. He comes up with these, you know, clever ideas for how to have, you know, seven points all starting with a letter in the word partner. And uh, so that's, that's how we're going to do it. Uh, but the points are good. And, uh, and uh, we're going to understand how we partner together to reach out and be commissioned to reach out together uh, with the love of God. And so the first one, to get right into it, uh, is that we pray together. The first thing that you do is you ask your small group, to pray for your friends, for your friends who haven't sort of stepped across the line, friends who are still considering the claims of Christ. You know, they've heard about Jesus, they've heard about, uh, they've heard about God, they've heard about the gospel, they understand something to do with a cross, and uh, they understand that, that there is a group of people out there that believe this thing, but they don't know what it's all about yet. Or maybe they've heard things when they were younger and they don't understand them, or maybe they've heard new things, or they've seen Christians behave a certain way and they have doubts. And so there's all these people out there that are just, they're on the fence, they don't know what to believe. There's all these different ideas and they're not sure. And the first thing that we do in partnering together is we pray. We have to start with praying. And so we can ask ourselves why our neighbors or why our friends you know, haven't, haven't come to embrace the same thing that we embrace. They haven't seen what's so obvious to us in our life, the transformation power of God's love, the fact that He created this universe and He created us with a purpose and that He sent His Son to die on our behalf to give us this gift of, of freedom in Him and freedom from our sin. And, and we wonder why it hasn't happened, and then we realize we haven't prayed for them. We have to start with prayer. So the first thing we do in partnership is we pray together. So in our small groups or with friends, you can just share with each other over coffee. Here's a friend of mine who I really think is wondering what's going on in his life or her life. And the most important thing we can do is pray for them. And so share those names. And first and foremost, be in prayer with each other. Prayer warms people's hearts. Prayer activates and arouses apathetic hearts. And prayer changes stubborn hearts. And thousands and thousands of times we know that prayer can move people from where they are to where God wants them to be. And so we start with prayer. People can reject your arguments. People can refuse to listen to your logic. But they are powerless against prayer. The great thing about prayer is they don't even know what's happening. You're at home praying for them and there's nothing they can do about it. You know, and God is like this intergalactic or ICBM. He's like this intercontinental missile. You can pray for people from your college who may be living in Nebraska right now and the prayers reach them in Nebraska. You can pray for people from your childhood that you don't even know where they are anymore and the prayer will reach them. There's nothing anybody can do to stop prayer. You know, they can shut the door and not listen to you. They can not return your emails, but you pray, they're stuck. The prayer will reach them no matter what you do. And so you pray for people that aren't just hours away, but also pray for people that you talk to every day. Pray that God gives you opportunities to show them love and show concern for their life. And that's the first step, is that we love them so that they're ready to hear the good news when the time comes. And the message of the gospel may be... The most loving thing we can give a person, but it's often not the first loving thing we give. And that's sometimes a mistake that we make is that we run into somebody and they barely know us or it's a friend from school and we haven't got together with them. And we're really excited to share with them about Jesus because it really impacted our life. And it is the most loving thing you can do for them. But for a lot of people, even though it's the most loving thing you can do, it may not be the first loving thing that you do for them is share the gospel. The first loving thing we have to do is just love them, love them as a person. You know, Help them move into their new house. Help them look after their kids. Mow their grass. Be with them at their bedside when they're sick. Just love people in a way that then opens them up to the gospel that they can receive the most loving gift that we have to offer. And so we have hundreds of gifts of love that we can have the opportunity to give people before the biggest gift of the gospel. And so just the first thing is just pray for the people near you and pray that you will love them. Pray that you will have a heart for love for them and pray that you'll have opportunity to share the gospel. So begin in prayer. The other way we partner is we appeal to common interests. Before you're likely to share that good news with anybody in a way that's meaningful, you have to establish a relationship with them. Before you can reach them, you have to relate to them. You, you find out what you have in common. You find out... Uh, what you like to talk about. You find out common experiences and common interests. You know, people like to fish. People like to golf. Um, people like to hunt around here. You know, so if you like to hunt or fish or play golf, that's, that's a lot of guy things. We need some other stuff in there. Shopping is a good one. Yeah, we like to shop. That's always a good go-to. Shopping is about as good a go-to for women as golf is for guys. And, uh, you know, so you need to find things. Just have coffee together. Eat together. I know that. No, I won't say that. Um, we all like to eat, and uh, so that even that's a common interest is food. Um, but we have a hockey ministry here at Lakeside, right? Guys just get together and they play hockey. They don't do a Bible study. They don't pray in the change room afterwards. They're not, you know, sharing the gospel at uh, center ice or anything like that. It's just playing hockey, right? It's just. Common interests, we like to play hockey. Let's build relationships through hockey. And that gives us opportunity then to have a coffee or come over for dinner or whatever. An opportunity then, you know, to help them move into their new house or, you know, to mow their lawn or do these other things and build those relationships on common interests so that you have an opportunity then to share the gospel with them. You have an opportunity to invite them to church. You have an opportunity to share with them the best news that you ever found in your life, which was about Jesus Christ. But it all starts planning on common interest and building relationships intentionally. You know, so it could be a a new mom's group, it could be a book club, it could be Monday night football, it could be hiking, it could be rock climbing, it could be fishing, it could be board games, it could be watching movies together, whatever the common interests are out there that you can make a group for it and then just use that simple avenue of a common interest, of appealing to a common interest to build relationships. And this is what I mean. I'm a pastor and so this was a problem that I had because when I moved out of the business world into the into the sort of the church world as a pastor, I found out that all my relationships became inside the bubble of, of the sort of the Christian church bubble. you know. Because So I sort of didn't have those long relationships with my, with my work people and people that I used to go to school with. I wasn't meeting with them all the time. I was always meeting with Christian people. And so un, until I was intentionalable, intentionable, that's a new word, <laughs> until I was intentional about creating relationships based on common interests with people outside of the church, then I didn't have anybody to share my life with who didn't already know about Jesus. And so we partner together. We get together on these common interests in order to reach out to people sort of outside of our immediate Christian relationships, to intentionally have relationships with people who are outside of the gospel so that we have an opportunity to share the love of God with them and to share our life with them so that they understand the good news that we have found at, at some point down the road when the time is right. The aim is to be present in people's lives through common interests in order to be present in people's lives when those profound moments of significance come. You're not going to run into a big profound moment of significance necessarily playing pickup hockey at the arena. And there's not going to be a big profound moment of significance while you're watching Monday Night Football or while you're doing a book club on you know, whatever the latest book is going around. But if you're in people's lives intentionally, week by week, month by month, then when those profound moments of need come, then you're there and you're ready for it. And so that's the point, is just be present in order to be there. Thirdly, reach out in love, the R in partner. Why? We need to have the right motive in reaching out to our neighbors and friends. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And so you know the old cliche, people don't care what they, we know until they know that we care. You know, so everything we have to do is out of love. You know, and if you're in a small group, uh, you heard this in your video in discussion in this past week in First Corinthians 13, no matter what we think, no matter what we believe, no matter what we do, no matter what we give, everything has to be out of love. It's all useless without love. And so we have to reach out in love. But why reach out? Well, in Romans 10, it tells us this in verse 11. We have to reach out because we have the best news in the world. It says in verse 11 in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the good news, right? That the world is in a situation of darkness, that the people are in a situation of being lost apart from God, that they're not an accident, that God created them with a purpose, that you were made by God and he has a plan for your life that you were made to last forever, that God wants you to live forever with Him in eternity. And Jesus came to earth so that you could know who God is and how much God loves you because we weren't getting it. And so God sent His Son to make it really clear to us And that he died on the cross and paid for all of our sins so that everything you've done wrong or will do wrong is completely wiped out and forgotten and forgiven and so that there's nothing we can do to earn the love of God but that it's just given to us. We have this great news that's summed up there in Romans 10 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how do they know that? Paul goes on to write in Romans 10 and just a few verses later he says, how will people call on Jesus if they don't know about him? How will they believe if they've never heard of him? How will they hear about him if no one tells him? And so Paul is explaining that the reason we have to reach out in love is because people don't know this news unless somebody gives it to them. We can live lives of love in front of them. We can have this great, amazing transformation in our life that set us free from the bondage of the burden in our past, that's allowed us to forgive the people who have harmed us, that has set us free to be able to live lives of love. And we can live a life of love like Mother Teresa, if you want, But unless you actually tell people the good news about where that love comes from, then how will they ever know? And so we have to reach out in love so that people know that this is the gift that is from God. And our motive is love. Our motive is not guilt, and we don't want to do it out of pressure, and we don't want to do it out of duty, and we don't do it to make God like us because God already loves us. God doesn't like you any better because you do this. He loves you already. We don't do it because we're better than anybody else, because we're not better than anybody else. The only reason we do this is out of love. God's love for us and God's love for others and our love that we share with God for others for what has been done. And so here's the action step on reaching out together in love. Ask God to give you a deeper love for other people. You know, sit on the bench by the bank in town and just watch the people walking by. I did this the other day. I sat down on the bench. I was waiting when he was at the post office or something, and I just sat on the bench down there by the post office, you know, right downtown. It's funny saying downtown in Halliburton, but anyway. <laughs> As Graham says, that implies we have an uptown somewhere. <laughs> yeah, oh, do we have an uptown? Yeah. <laughs> so so you sit downtown on the bench there and just watch people walking by and meditate on God creating love for them in your hearts think of all of those people that walk by um, in Halliburton that they were created uniquely and specially for God to be loved by God that they are created in the image of God just like all of us are it's God's intent that we are placed in Halliburton at this time you ever wonder why are you in Halliburton at this particular time yes (laughs) I knew as soon as I asked that question there was going to be an answer Yes. Why am I in Halliburton right now? Exactly. But that is a good question. Everybody who's in Halliburton right now is not here by accident. God planned for you to be here. God planned for you to be here this morning. God planned for you to listen to this message and hear it. God planned all of this before the foundation of the world. Good works for us to do to love each other. And so when you sit on that bench or you sit on your front porch and you watch people walk by and you ask, why are you here right now, this time in this town? Why are you watching that person walk by? Why did you bump into that person at the supermarket? It's because God intended it that way, to love them. And so we have to consider these families and consider these people that we are rubbing shoulders with every day, day in and day out, that God brought us here for a purpose, to love them with his love. And so pray and ask God to stir up a profound love for the people around you or for your family members or your co-workers. We won't reach out properly until we love properly. So, reach out in love. T, tell your stories. And do what the Bible talks about in 1 Peter 2 9. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which is an amazing text. But my paraphrase of that for today, for telling your stories, is you are God's special people chosen people to do his work and to tell others how awesome he is and how he completely transformed your life. That's my paraphrase of 1 Peter two nine. You are a chosen people meant to tell people how awesome God is and how awesome he was in your life. Tell your stories is what he's saying. People are most convinced something is effective when they see and hear that it's worked for someone they know. This is why our stories are important. It doesn't matter whether it's laundry soap or how to take away mosquito bite itching. If somebody sees and hears that it made a difference for someone else, then they believe it could possibly work for them, whether it's taking stains out of your underwear or whether it is getting, putting peanut butter on your arm in order to get an itch off of, uh, out of a mosquito bite. People will smear peanut butter on their arm if you tell them that it will take a mosquito bite away. I mean, people will do anything if they hear that it's been effective for someone else. And it's the same thing with the gospel as well. In order for people to begin to listen seriously, they need to see and hear about God's transforming work in your life. If you tell them that what Jesus did worked for you, then they will be compelled to believe if it worked for you, then it might work for me. And so we have to tell our stories. We have to share our lives with each other. Jesus said, You are to be my witnesses. And that's a great picture. Because when you use the word witness, what do you think of? You think of a courtroom. Right, You think of people witnessing in a courtroom. Most of us think that way. And it's a perfect picture of what God is asking us to do to make a difference in the world. We are here to be his witness. Get this, God does not ask us to be his attorney. God does not ask us to be his... Defense, God does not ask us to be the judge. God asks us not to be the jury of judging other people. He says, I want you to be my witness. All you have to do is tell people how you see me working in your own life and don't get hung up on the outcome. It's not your job to be the judge. It's not your job to be the prosecuting attorney. The Holy Spirit will take care of that. Your job is just to be the witness. It's not about you winning the case. It's just about you telling your story. So Jesus says, be my witness. Just tell people about how the Lord has worked in your life. And so here's an action step with this, and it's a simple action step. This week, write out your story and share it with your group. Just start there within your own small group. Just tell your story of how a God story in your life, it could be the the moment when you finally realized who Jesus was and God broke through into your rebellious heart and you finally laid down your sword and stopped fighting with God. Or it might have been the moment when you finally realized that you didn't have all the answers, that you had tried to do it your way and it wasn't working and so you just surrendered and realized that God had a better plan for you. It could be that story or it could just be a God moment in your life. But tell a testimony or give a witness for God in your small group. And then just take two or three minutes for people to do that. You can tell them all to each other. You can go around the room or in groups or whatever, however you want to do it. But this moment, this, this week, just take time to write down your story. And for a lot of people, it might be the first time you've ever really done it, really thought about how do I tell my story to give witness for what God has done in my life. The Bible says in Psalm 66, it says, listen, and I will tell you what God has done for me. And that's it. Just do that. Just tell people what God has done for you. First of all, with each other in that sort of safe position of the small groups. And then challenge yourself to share a God story with someone you know just once in the next five weeks. Sometime during this 40 days of community, just share your story with somebody who hasn't heard it before. Somebody who maybe you want to have show up at church or you just want them to know you better and just say, hey, you know what, this is important in my life. And because it's important in my life, I want you to know about it. I want you to know this about me. Just share that little story. Or you could tell your story on video with your smartphone. You can do like a Vine or whatever they call it now these days. You know, just do a little story of just tell it on your smartphone and then you can post that on Facebook. And then it's there for anybody who wants to see it, you know. Or for some people, it might be just changing their Facebook status to say Christian. That, like, may be a big step for some people just to even put on Facebook that they are Christian, you know, and that that's their status and that that's what they believe But the idea here is you've got to tell your story. Wherever you are at, just start telling your story of how God has made a difference in your life. Take whatever step you are open to for opening up your story of God to others. And it's interesting, as you hear several people tell their story, um, not just you, then there's a power in group. You know When you hear other people tell their story and another guy tells his story and you tell your story, you realize there's a power in that story. There's a power in the story of God's love for us. There's a power in the story of what Christ has done for the world. And so we get encouraged by that. And so the next way that we reach out together the end is nurturing friendships. Just build friendships with each other so that people can build a bridge between your heart and theirs and Jesus can walk across that bridge. And this step takes a little bit more effort and it takes a little more energy to build a friendship. And you don't just do it overnight. You start with that appealing to common interests But then it takes time. It takes a lot of time to build a friendship, right? You don't make friends overnight. You don't make friends just because you got in a group for 40 days and, oh, yeah, now we're best buddies forever and, you know, I'm going to share my life for you and, you know, you'll be at my funeral and, you know, all of that stuff. It takes time. But the 40 days of community, the small groups together, is the beginning of that. And for a lot of us, it's rekindling friendships that maybe you know, have gotten a little bit apathetic. You know, we've gotten together with people that we like and that we know, but we haven't really been great friends for a long time. And so the 40 days of community is opportunity to build those friendships up again. And the Bible says in Romans twelve sixteen, this is a paraphrase of it, be friendly with everybody. Don't be proud and feel that you are smarter than others. Make friends with ordinary people. Everybody's looking for a true friend. And I'm not talking about acquaintances. Everybody has acquaintances. I'm talking about people who are there with, when you need them most and building friendships that last. And so my encouragement through this 40 Days of Community is that this is a starting point of rebuilding and and starting new friendships that will last. The people that will be in our lives for a long time and are there to encourage and pray with us and and to uh, share our lives together. Now, one of the best biblical methods for making friends here, and this is definitely Rick's idea. Actually, it's Jesus' idea, but he pointed it out, and I never noticed this before, is have a party the best biblical method for making friends is have a party. Jesus' ministry, as you now will sort of reflect on it, revolved around parties. Almost everywhere Jesus went, the Pharisees caught him at a party. He was at a party with some tax collectors or some sinners, or he was at a party with other Pharisees. When you read through the Gospels, you realize how much Jesus was at parties most of the time. I'm going to change my ministry. My ministry has got to be more like Jesus, everybody would agree. I have to spend more time at parties. And so... Jesus' ministry was at parties because that's where the people that he wanted to make friends with were at. The people that Jesus was trying to reach were at the parties. One of his first disciples, Levi, who then becomes called Matthew, his disciples, it says, in his home, Matthew 11:19. 19, it says, In his home, Levi also called Matthew gave a big dinner party for Jesus and many fellow tax collectors and other guests were also there. And so all these people from work, all this fellow tax, Matthew was a tax collector and so he had basically an office party. And all of his fellow tax collectors came to this office party and he happened to have Jesus there. And so Jesus was there at this office party with Matthew and all of his buddies and that he just said, come on over and meet this guy that I met. Meet this Jesus guy. And so make friends at parties. Hold parties together and meet together and and invite people together so that we can mix together with other people and build friendships. Enjoy having people in your house. God says he wants us to reach out to people and nurture friendships through hospitality. And so we need to reach out by nurturing friendships in that way. The E in partner is expect God to act. And this is where I admit that I fall down quite often is expecting God to act. You know, somebody asked me, you know, do you think God can save Muslims? And do you think God can save, you know, murderers? And, you know, sometimes I don't even know if God can save my neighbor, let alone (laughs) Muslims and murderers and and people who are in different philosophical places or people who are in different you know, places in terms of their life and their background. Um, And by no means was I saying Muslims are murderers. Wow, would that ever come across wrong if you've got that impression? (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. I mean, we we wonder whether God can reach into these places that we just think are so far away from him. People who are just so opposed to Christianity or people who have done things in their life that it seems like they would have no hope. And we wonder if God can save them. And and, And we don't expect God to act and and so the e in this is that we have to actually expect god to act and i and so in prayer i have to realize that that often sometimes we do things and we don't know that anything is going to happen and we don't expect god to act and so when we did finding the hope just to bring it to our sort of situation when we did that campaign Uh, We did the Finding the Hope campaign, and we reached out to the community, and we did all this planning and marketing and prayer and activities, and we had all these Finding the Hope things aimed towards reaching out to people in need of hope, and we did that with an expectation. And I'm not sure if what God allows us to see as the result of that effort is the whole result, or if God just lets us see the portion of the result that is the portion equal to our expectation, or equal to our doubt, to put it the other way. But I want to give you one story from that Finding the Hope campaign. Uh, Just so you know... Uh, of what's going on out there and how uh, i hope it encourages you to have expectation to god for god to act when we obey and so this is a story and you can ask brian about it pastor brian ploof he told us this story at the ministerial when we did sort of the debrief and uh, i won't go into all the names and stuff like this but there was a young woman whose mother is very very ill she was failing and she was living at home with her mother and caring for her while she was ill and uh, she had gotten the mail and gotten the booklet and her mother was in bed and she, she sat by the bed talking to her and her mother asked her, she said, did we get any mail today? What, what's in the mail? And, and the daughter said, yeah, we got some mail and there was this little book, uh, Finding the Hope, it says. And the mother said, I need hope. That's what I need. I need hope. Can you read me the booklet? So the, the daughter sat down by the bedside, read through the whole booklet to the mother and the mother said, that is exactly what I need. I need that hope. Um, you know, we, we need to talk to somebody about this. I, I, I went to Lakeside at one point. There's Pastor Brian. I think he's still in the area. Can you find Pastor Brian and, and have him come over? And it was the day that they were handing out the door hangers, right? So he gets a call on his cell phone from this young lady who says that her mother would like to meet with him and come. would he come over? So he came over that day, and her health wasn't good, so he felt he really had to go that day. So he went that day, sat down with the mother and the daughter, explained the gospel to them, how Jesus died for the world and he just inserted their names in for for you know God so loved the world that he died for Paul. And so that he sent his son to die for Paul. And so he explained the gospel to them and they held hands and both the mother and the daughter accepted Christ right there because of that because of that booklet. And 2 days later the mother dies, passes away. <laughs> and uh So the hope at that funeral is totally different than the hope would have been a week earlier. And the hope is totally different because that booklet went out in the mail and somebody got that booklet, read it at the right time, and there was a connection to a church at the right time for them to hear the gospel and hear the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ. And so we don't know all the ripple effect of that campaign. We don't know what God is going to do with that, but we have to expect God to act. When we do these things, when we... When we share the gospel, when we step out in obedience, when we send out these, these, these mailings or when we share our faith or when we're, we're just there to love somebody, we won't necessarily see everything that God is going to do, but we have to expect that God is doing things and we have to expect God to act and not fall down in, in, in doubt and not, not, suffer, not think that God is not going to act on his promises. If we didn't expect God to act on his promise, there'd be no reason to be doing the things that we're doing. The only reason we're doing the things that we're doing and living the life that we're living and have the hope that we have is because we expect God to act. And so we need to be diligent in making sure that we are purposefully expecting God to act. And finally, the R and partner, what we do together, representing Christ with our life. The Bible says, whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do or say, and so we need Christians who walk the walk and who talk the talk that represent Christ with their life. And they do it and they say it and they live it and they share it and they communicate the life of Christ and they demonstrate the life of Christ and they show, and, and they show the love of God and they live out the love of God. You need to do both. You need to live it in your life and you need to share it with your mouth. And so the Bible is very specific about this. It says in First Thessalonians 4, do all that you can to live a peaceful life and take care of your own business, and do your own work. And if you do, people who are not believers will respect you. Now, we're not going to live perfect lives. That's not what the scripture is saying here. It's saying, don't. It's saying you know, you need to live perfectly and, and be exactly like Jesus. Otherwise, everybody's going to say you're a hypocrite. It's not saying live a perfect life. You know, we're still going to get our buttons pushed, and we're still going to speak out in frustration, and we still have our own past hurts that damage the way we relate to people now. And we still have you know, things in our personality and sin in our life which sabotages our best intentions. No matter how hard we try, sometimes we stumble and fail and, and, and we uh, sort of destroy our best intentions from time to time. We're not called to live perfect lives. We're called to live humble and sacrificial and redeemed lives. It's not about walking perfectly. It's about walking humbly. With love, I can be imperfect and still be humble. I can make mistakes and still love. I can be broken and struggle with sin and still show mercy to others. It says in Micah 6, 8, one of my favorite verses, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And so it's not that we have to have perfect lives. It's not that we have to be infallible. It's that in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our sin, in spite of our hurts, We still walk in love and humility and mercy, and that is how we represent God with our lives. And so as we represent Christ together, not with perfection, but with humility and justice and kindness and love, it's an opportunity for people to be more willing to accept the gospel because they see a people who's transformed, especially people who knew you before. I mean, if you knew me back in the early 90s, I would not be up here right now. Right? I would not get through any sort of interview process to become a pastor if you knew me <laughs> in the 80s and 90s. You know, The people who knew you before and the people who know you after the love of God, that's the greatest testimony of living out your life representative of the life of Christ, transformed by his love and humility and mercy. That's how we are to partner together all those ways. Let's pray. Father God, you've given us a mission in this world that we are to partner with, The mission is that together we are to show love to each other and show love to the world to reach out. And so I pray that you would raise up in us and stir up in us all of these seven things. The prayer for those around us. The purposeful building of friendships. The nurturing of relationships. um, The intentional reaching out in love. The um, living out a life that's representative of you. All of these things, Lord, are reminders to us of how we are to reach out. And so I would pray that people would realize and would pray even now the recognition that you have put specific people in their lives because you want them to share your love. And that they understand that this is the mission that we're on. That we share with the Apostle Paul the same mission that he had. The same mission that Christ gave his church. To be loved by God first, yes. And to glory in that love that God has had for us, but then to share that love with others. That you have put us in Halliburton, in this time, in this place, in this church, in this small group, for a reason. To love one another and to love those that need to see your love. And so, Father God, I pray that we would take this time together in these small groups. And if if people aren't in small groups, that they would join one. That we would just build up love for one another and build up love for this community and then show love and walk in love in Halliburton, that we might then be able to share the love of the gospel with those around us. And Father, help us to remember that nobody is beyond your reach. Help us to have an expectation that you will act, that there is nobody that is outside of the power of your Holy Spirit to draw them to you. And Father, that there is nothing but good news waiting for them when they come. So Father, give us expectant hearts, not doubting, but believing that your love is more powerful than we can imagine. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.